The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, let's get into it. The West Virginia Mountaineers lose to the 11th ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys 24 to 3. WVU is now 4 and 5 and they need to win two of their last three games to become bowl eligible. The 24 to 3 score doesn't reflect the absolute dominance Oklahoma State showed on defense. They controlled the line of scrimmage and caused West Virginia to have one of their worst offensive performances in recent memory. 133 total yards is the lowest offensive output since 1994. Shout out to Chris Anderson for that stat. I don't think many Mountaineer fans are shocked that we lost, but uh, it's awfully disappointing and concerning how we lost. Yeah, 100%. And um, I, I don't really want to elaborate too much because I think if I get, get it all out right now, it's just going to sound like... Uh, word vomit um just because of how much went wrong especially offensively so um the kind of first thought that i had to to think about this game to kind of measure how bad it was is a question for you actually so on a scale of one to the loss didn't impact your feelings towards neil brown to 10 fire neil brown now how angry were you at brown after the game and then compared to now Oh, that's something I really got to think about. I mean, I never thought fire Neil Brown. I was never at a 10. Um, But yeah, I mean, initially after the game, I was pretty fired up just because we looked so lifeless. I mean, it wasn't like we just went out there and lost. And then, you know, the fans are being babies about losing to a team that's probably better than us. It was just the fact that, you know, you show up to the game, you're all excited. and then you get an offense that just doesn't even look like they belong. They look like a division two school compared to Oklahoma state. So uh, I was definitely disappointed after looking at the result. I'm not sure I've cooled off that much. Um, I will say like, I'm not disappointed in the entire team. Like we're going to get into it, but I I like the way our defense played. It's just Mm -hmm. our offense three years into it. It just, just looks like an offense that it's not even fun to watch let alone play in and it's starting to get, get concerning because how are you going to keep pulling guys into this program if you keep having performances like that on national television yeah 100 uh, me personally i was probably at about an eight um more of you know if we don't make a bowl game then maybe consider neil brown after the game i've cooled off since then to maybe like a a five, um, which is more like maybe next year sort of sort of ranking. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I'll kind of elaborate into why. So a little bit of a teaser there onto something I'm going to rant about a little bit later. But um, that kind of summarizes my feelings after the game and kind of leading up to today about how I felt about the game is it wasn't so much where the performance was something like I didn't expect us to go in there and blow them out. I didn't go in there expecting to score 30. I just expected us to go in there and look competent. 
and we didn't look competent on offense. No, no, not at all. And let's let's just dive right into it and talk about some of the stats. After the opening drive, West Virginia only gained a total of 69 yards on 11 possessions. And they went three and out on six of their 12 total possessions. So half of the time, we got the ball, went three and out, and had to punt, which is just mind-blowing. We were two for 14 on third down, one for three on fourth down. Absolutely abysmal performance from the offense as a whole. Uh, Let's break it down individually. Jared Dagey was sacked eight times this game. He only threw for 109 yards and had an interception. He had negative 35 total rushing yards, which means he had 74 total offensive yards on 33 plays. That is 2.2 yards per play Dagey had that game. Clearly, the offensive line has to take some of the blame. They looked like Swiss cheese out there. They were getting beat by three to four-man rushes on nearly every snap. Like, Oklahoma State didn't even have to send extra men to just absolutely blow up our offensive line. Now, Deggy is not blameless. I mean, even receiving a lot of criticism from Dan Orlowski on the broadcast. So, what are your thoughts on Jared Deggy and the offensive line's performance? So I'm going to kind of judge those two separately. I'm starting off with the offensive line. Um, So to to kind of elaborate on the first point that you made about our lack of offensive production, um, 48% of our total yardage was gained on a single drive. Um, That's bad. Um, We were sacked eight times. And on those eight sacks, they only blitzed three times. Oklahoma State did. Um, And, the sacks came at terrible times. We had three sacks on first and 10. Those sacks averaged seven yards lost. So that means on those first and 10 plays, I mean, second and 17, second and 17, second and 17, three times out of, you know, what the nine possessions you said we had. That's, that's terrible. Um, We also had a sack on a third and three and on a second and seven, that was five of the sacks, five of the eight. The other three were where, we were in bad position already, so it didn't really have as much as an impact. But, you know, when you're, you're letting sacks and disrupting your drive that badly, you know, you just can't win. And, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a combination of Daggy or the offensive line, you're just getting behind the sticks, which is one of the key points that we talked about last week when we previewed this is don't get behind the sticks, don't get into third downs. And a lot of the sacks were generated due to our poor offensive line play, in particular our tackles. Yates and Milam each got beat four times each, at least individually. So not four times combined. They each got beat four times each, um, not just leading with sacks. They weren't the only ones who allowed sacks, but tackles for losses, disrupted plays, everything. On those plays where they missed blocks, we lost an average of 4.4 yards across all plays. That includes running plays. And on the passing plays where... Um, they got beat. We averaged a uh, seven yards loss. So just absolutely atrocious. And you can't have that happen. And as a coach, you have to kind of think of how do you get rid of that? How, how do you stop that? And I'm not sure what we were doing because it kept on happening. The first half wasn't as bad. I think we only got sacked once or twice in the first half. But in the second half, we were just getting sacked. It seemed like every drive. And that would just throw everything into um, – you know, chaos. Um, And the one thing that kind of stood out to me from the press conference today 
getting into Deggy is that um, Ger Gerard Parker said that there's three things you can name in the first half that if we do what we're coached to do in highly stressful situations, this looks a whole lot different. And I was trying to kind of figure out what those three plays were. I think I nailed down two of them. Um, one of them is on Deggy. I think it was that missed screen to Winston Wright that Or Orlovsky pointed out. Um, we actually took a sack on that play. It was a 10-yard loss on that sack. Um, Brandon Yates got beat on that. But it was still a t play that looked like Deggy had time if he just let it go. And as Orlovsky said, that could have went for a touchdown. There's a ton of green ahead of him. The second one, um, I think, was probably the Garrett Green fumble on the – I don't even know what the play was. It was like an RPO, triple option sort of pass play that just went complete crap. Um, and I couldn't figure out what the third one was. But, you know, kind of looking at that with a, a lens towards Deggy, you know, I did see that he missed at least two reads, a one, uh, including that one to uh, Winston Wright. and. He had two bad passes um, where he overthrew a guy. Um, and to kind of build off of that, Brown noted that there was at least three or four of our sacks that were avo avoidable because we had guys open. Now, he may not have time to throw, but when Brown's saying that three or four of those mistakes, those you know drive-ending, basically, sacks um, were because we weren't throwing the ball, you know, it is kind of a combination. So... Um, I kind of lean towards it starting off with the offensive line, giving Deggy kind of shell shock, and then him just kind of falling apart from there, which you don't want from your quarterback to begin with. But, um, yeah, it just the quarterback needs to be more composed and get the ball out, and the offensive line needs to not get his quarterback so rattled that he gets that way. So I'm not sure who's at fault. It's just both bad. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's a combination um, but it's not like, uh, Garrett green played well when he wasn't, he had a big fumble, as you mentioned, after a Dante stills interception, which killed any momentum West Virginia had at that time. Um, however, some people are questioning why we didn't turn to him at some point in the second half. There was about three minutes left in the game when coach Brown put him in, in the fourth quarter. Personally, I don't think he would have performed any better than Daggy. I, I might have wanted to see him a little earlier, but like I said, I don't think it would have made a difference. But what are your thoughts on Green barely seeing the field in the second half? I, I agree. I don't think he would have made a difference. I mean, I'm not sure what you could have done. Um, I think that pressure is just something that completely throws teams off their game. Um, and I don't think one player is going to come in there and change that. I think it's a coaching thing. I mean we knew going into the game that their pass rush was debilitating. It's going to wreck your offensive line. It's going to give your quarterback problems. We know, we knew coming into the game that Deggy does struggle under pressure. Um, we knew coming into the game that, you know, uh, it's probably not a good idea to throw Garrett Green under that. I mean, it's good to give him snaps to, I think, as Parker said last week, steal some rushing yards. But you can't have him out there every play because, you know, as you kind of saw today, you know, there were some plays where he was just making the wrong read. He was, you know, reading way too fast. He wasn't reading the linebackers, and he was just pulling that ball immediately and running with it um, when, you know, he could have handed the ball off to Letty or someone else and gained some more yardage or, you know, pass the ball on the plays that he, he was designed to pass it instead of handing it off and running. Um, you know, the game was just moving too fast for him. So, yeah, 
it's really just on the coaching to kind of make to, to put them in a situation that makes everyone more comfortable in spite of all the chaos that's going around them. Yeah, and uh, Letty had a bad day. I feel like they gave up on the run game early. It's not like it would have been successful with the way our offensive line was playing, but Letty only had 10 carries for 24 yards and only three carries in the second half. Tony Mathis only had five carries for 25 yards. I feel like they tried relying on the pass game too much, and that played right into Oklahoma State's hands. Also, it's worth mentioning, I know everybody had a rough day on offense, but Bryce Ford Wheaton is supposed to be your go-to guy in the passing game. He had over 100 yards against Iowa State. Then he comes out versus Oklahoma State and gets one catch for zero yards. Coach Brown said after the game that uh, Stills, Isdale, and Ford Wheaton were hurt coming into the game. Um, So maybe that had something to do with it. However, I just can't remember the last time West West Virginia's offense has looked this bad, and that's saying a lot considering the year the offense has had overall. Yeah, and I you know I think it again goes back to the game plan. One quote that stood out to me from Gerard Parker during the press conference, um, actually two quotes that he said is you know first there's not anything you can do something and continue to do it, or there's not anything where you can do something and continue to do it. If that makes sense, there's a change in adjustment. And then you hope you put yourself in a point where you've looked for the second step ahead. The second quote is we've got to do a better job of having our counter punches ready, or sometimes they do a great job of being ahead of you. So what that kind of reads me to is that they went into this game completely like clean slate from that ISU game. And we're trying to outthink a team that is built to install chaos in your backfield. And I don't think that's how you beat a team like that. You don't try to think two steps ahead of them. You just go out there and you try to take advantage of their aggressiveness. Um, You know, like I think you say quite a bit is coaches overthink things way too much. And, you know, it's obvious you want to get the ball in Bryce Ford Wheaton's hands. You want to hand the ball off to Letty Brown. You want to get the ball to Winston Wright. You want to get the ball out quick. But are these coaches thinking that, hey, if we take some deep shots, which is something that Neil Brown alluded to quite a bit in the press conferences, we needed to hit explosive plays because that's counter to what they thought Oklahoma State was going to try to take away from them instead of just going out there and focusing on, you know, the things where you know you can be successful. Um, And that's kind of what just drives me mad and makes me so confused as to what the game plan was going in because it's like you're thinking – yourself out of the game on offense yeah yeah and there were some interesting coaching decisions once again on saturday towards the end of the third quarter coach brown thought the the game clock would run out before the play clock so he basically thought the clock would run out and go into the fourth quarter so we intentionally took a delay a game penalty on the own our own 12 yard line and got backed up to the seven and had to punt out of our own end zone. Also, uh, the end of the first half, Letty runs for 15 yards to start the drive. I think there was about a minute left when he made that run. And then West Virginia is at their own 39-yard line. Maybe we can uh, get one or two deep passes, kick a field goal. It takes the Mountaineers 30 seconds to get a play call off when they had a timeout 
uh, just very confusing. I think Diggy ended up getting sacked, and then we just let it roll into halftime. It seems like they're just reverting back to the old clock management problems, and it's just frustrating on a day that's frustrating to begin with. Yeah, and kind of the weird thing was, too, is that against a team like Oklahoma State, I feel like there's two ways to approach them. One is to put some extra blockers in the backfield to buy yourself some extra time, or two, you can spread them out and run quick short passes like screens and slants and things like that. So um, the interesting thing I thought was, was the lack of variety that we ran. So we ran 21 of our 57 plays in four plus wide receiver sets, which is about 37% of the time. We only ran four screen passes, which you think in that four wide set, you'd be running more screen passes. You'd be running more slants. And I think we only saw, on the plays where Deggy got the ball out, uh, two or three slants out of all of his attempts. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it just doesn't make any sense because, like, for example, against Iowa State, a team that's very aggressive as well, we ran 16% of our plays out of empty, 43% out of shotgun, um, 20% out of pistol, or 14%, or 27% out of pistol, 14% out of single back. Against Oklahoma State, we ran 65% of our plays out of shotgun, 13% out of empty. So about 78% of our plays were out of some sort of, you know, spread out set. And only 11% of our plays out of pistol and 4%, which was two plays out of our single back formation. Um, and then an additional 6%, which were those special formations that we put in for Garrett Green. So, you know, that we didn't run any draws that I saw. Uh, we were spreading them out and then trying to run long developing routes. Um, we threw 10 passes on first down, um, which resulted in three completions for 14 yards. Um, and we had nine rushes on first down, which we were averaging 4.4 yards per carry. So I just don't, it's just baffling looking at all this stuff and what the game plan was going in to kind of figure out what the coaches thought was going to happen and how they thought this was going to work. Yeah, I feel like they don't adjust very well on the fly. Like uh, the the two games that we played well in leading into this, we were uh, managing ourselves into you know short third third down plays, and that's because on first down we were running or throwing quick passes. And you're right on on this day, it felt like once whatever the game plan was right off the bat wasn't working, they just reverted back to a very vanilla drop back, throw deep balls which isn't really our bread and butter to begin with. I don't understand why they, I know the run game wasn't working, but I don't understand why they, it seemed like they completely abandoned it like almost immediately. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, I I know the run game wasn't great, but it was about a 50% success rate of gaining either like three or four yards versus gaining zero or one. And I think against something like Oklahoma, if you can get that on first down 50% of the time, then you're probably getting a first down on that drive. And that's, if you're getting a first down on 50% of your possessions, that's what, three or four more first downs than what we had. Um, So, you know, if we're so afraid of the defense, why aren't we just trying to get a first down and gain some momentum? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't know. I can't wrap my head around it. So that kind of led me into, um, you know, some, some different additional different stats that I thought was interesting too. So 
digging in even further to, to the performance of the coaching staff. Um, so against Iowa State and TCU, we had 29 points and 38 points, and then 487 yards and 492 yards, respectively. Um, that hadn't happened in back-to-back -back games against FBS opponents and Brown's three seasons at WVU. So the uh, ISU and TCU games were the two best games offensively of Neil Brown's career. So that kind of led me to question as, you know, we all talk about, we, you know, it's easy to make excuses for why we should give Neil Brown more time. And I do think he deserves, you know, at least another year. But, you know, trying to figure out when it's fair to evaluate him. So the excuse, you know, the past couple of years has been that he's been left with a bad roster. But this year, you know, look digging into the roster, it looks like something that we should have been able to build a more successful team with. So the offense has six juniors, three seniors, two sophomores, and one freshman. That play a lot of snaps. The defense has six seniors, four juniors, three sophomores, and one freshman that play a lot. And the freshman is a redshirt freshman. So, you know, it seems like this year should have been the year where we would should have been able to have an eight or nine win season, um, even with Jarrett Deggy. And if Jarrett Deggy is the weak link, if he comes back next year, then that's the same excuse, you know, to, to say, well, he has Jarrett Deggy, so he shouldn't be able to. You can't judge him for that next year. And then if you look at it next year, though, and you're starting someone like Crowder or Green or Nico, and they struggle then he has the excuse of, well, it's a young guy, give him another year. But then I looked two years from now to see, okay, well, if we give that quarterback another year, we're losing all of our receivers, two, uh, our two guards on offensive line, and basically everyone on our defense will be gone except for, I think, Dixon um, and two others that I'm not thinking of right now that are sophomores, and then Porter at corner. So you're having an entire roster turnover. So then if the team performs poorly, again, you can have that excuse of being, well, he doesn't have the weapons and the defense is bad. So kind of what I was thinking for, you know, the fans in general was like, what's, what's a fair timeline to evaluate Brown? Cause it's, it's hard. <laughs> so I think coach Brown's going to get five years regardless. And I think that's fair. I mean, that's what I, that's what I would do if I was in Shane Lyon's position. I'd give a new guy five years to get his guys in there to get used to whatever coaching staff he wants around him. So I do think even if we have a year similar to this year, next year, I, I think he'll still get that fifth year. Um, but even with all those guys leaving, we do have a good recruiting class coming in. So hopefully in a couple years, those guys will be developed and replacing and um, I do hear a lot of fans saying that, though, a good recruiting class is coming in next year. And that is true, but it's not like a majority of them are going to be impactful immediately. So um, I think our biggest problem is just fix that offensive line, regardless of who's going to be the quarterback next year. If that line is as bad as it's been all year, I don't think it really matters who's taking the snaps. It's, it's going to be hard to work around it, as we've seen this entire football year. I think a few things that need to change is Neil Brown needs to officially give up play calling duties for an entire season, not just a few games, not for half the season. I think if coach Parker's not the guy, then bring in someone else. And I mean like starting next year, 
Um, there's a reason Coach Brown, I don't know if it was ego was calling plays or if he thought Coach Parker wasn't capable. But if you don't think he's good to do it the entire year next year, Coach Brown needs to bring in someone else. And I actually wouldn't mind seeing a fresh face in there calling plays because it's not like it's just been this year. The past three years, West Virginia's offense has not been a very fun brand of offensive football to watch. And um, like I said, I'm scared that that might start hurting recruits down the road. Obviously, it didn't hurt recruits for this incoming class. Um, but I mean, after a while, it might. If you keep having these dud games on national television, kids are going to see that. And big recruits, it, it might deter them. So figure out what you're going to do with the offensive coordinator. Also, I coach Moore. I can't figure it out. We were praising him for turning the offensive line around um last week they had two very good games and now we're right back to just i mean they they are just getting manhandled out there it's not even like well they're just smaller and those are big guys i mean they they don't have technique they look clueless i think it it would just be better if we just cut ties with coach moore and got another offensive line coach as well uh, we need to get get more creative in the play calling. And I think getting a new offensive coordinator would help with that. And I think those are good starters. Honestly, the defensive side of the football, I don't think needs any overhaul at all. Maybe one thing here or there. But honestly, it all starts with the offense. Once the offense starts complementing our defensive side of the ball, I think a lot of these problems will be fixed. Yeah, and that's kind of another thing I was thinking about with Brown too, though, is, is like what is his overall team philosophy, you know, and kind of looking back out to what he did when he was with Troy and the Sun Belt, you know, in a league like that, you can win with, you know, when the talent is equal and then you can just out-execute and out-coach someone. You can control the clock, you know, run things down and do things like that. And we saw him have close games with Clemson and, Nebraska and LSU as well, too, you get a little bit of a shock factor in those games. So it's a little bit easier to kind of, you know, pull off upsets or keep games close against teams that aren't ready for you. But my one big concern, too, is that, you know, he's trying to apply that philosophy that worked in the Sun Belt against the Big 12 teams, where West Virginia is never going to have a team that has as much or more talent than more than half of the teams in the conference Oklahoma, Texas um oklahoma state um you know the texas schools they're, they're all every year going to have more talent so you got to create some sort of competitive advantage whether it's you know figuring out a scheme to take advantage of someone's aggressiveness like in this past game or you know having some sort of offensive concept where you're dynamic and you're pushing the ball downfield like dana did or rich rod did um you know, just something like that. And, and I can't quite figure out what his philosophy is. The only philosophy that I can see with Neil is that he's consistently inconsistent. You know, it's Iowa State and Oklahoma this year versus Oklahoma State and Texas Tech this year. It's Jekyll and Hyde. It's two completely different looking teams with two completely different expectations. You know, I went to ISU in Oklahoma thinking we would lose by a couple scores each game. We won and kept it close against Oklahoma. And then Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, we get basically blown out at least for half of the game in Texas Tech. So, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what direction the program is moving and what the philosophy is for us to win games and, you know, get up there as a top four Big 12 team. 
Yeah. I mean, he definitely likes to run an RPO in a spread offense, but it's very vanilla. Like it's, it's nothing. You don't see a lot of creativity in it. And even last year, I mean, think about the offensive games we saw last year. A lot of it was Deggy running the RPO throwing slants. I mean, so it wasn't even, it doesn't even look like they added a lot of new wrinkles this year to it. So I'm with you. Like, I, I don't know. There definitely needs to be changes this offseason. That's all I'll say. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, part of it is, too, like, w- along with that philosophy, if you're going to be a defense-first team, then run an offense that supports a defense-first attitude, a team that's going to go in there, you know, like Oklahoma State did, like, you know, Iowa State tries to do and just run the ball so much in creative different ways. Baylor does the same thing where you're gaining four or five yards a carry. and then you know, get some first downs. If you have to punt, you play the field position battle instead of doing something where you're passing 60% of the time and you're just running the same routes and you're not doing what everyone else is doing with the short passes and the trick plays and the, you know, little things here and there to create first downs and field position differences. Like you said, it's vanilla and you're just trying to march downfield every time to eat up possession time, which it seems like in college football time, college football possession time of possession doesn't really matter. I mean, WVU is number one in time of possession in the Big 12, and our record is not boosted by it at all. So um, we played a lot of close games, but, you know, close games don't really matter. You, you want wins. Yeah, I've actually been shocked by that stat. Researching teams like Baylor and Oklahoma State and even Kansas State in this past uh, just doing some research these last few days, like they don't dominate time of possession like I thought they would. I thought for sure I was going to look it up and be like, oh, this will be a good thing to mention. And each time I was shocked, like there, there's a lot of games that it's like 50-50, even these run-heavy teams. So you are right about that. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with too is just, you know, Big 12 offenses kind of having a way to generate dynamic plays, to move the ball consistently in chunks instead of just trying to methodically move just because of how dynamic defenses are. I mean, when we first joined the big 12, no one was playing defense, so it didn't really matter. But now you have teams like Iowa state and Kansas state, which we'll get to here in a little bit in Baylor who are running these exotic schemes who are bringing pressure from a whole bunch of different angles and trying to force turnovers. That's the new big 12 is, you know, create turnovers. That's how you stop a dynamic offense. So um, yeah, I, I think the, Neil Brown needs to look kind of in the mirror either now or at the end of the season. I don't care which and kind of figure out a direction that's going to work in the big 12, because I think what he's trying to do now, just it doesn't work. And I think he could be a good, good coach for sure, but you can't win in the big 12 with a Sunbelt philosophy. Yeah, no argument there. So uh, let's talk about our defense because, you know, (laughs) there was a lot of negatives to talk about with the offense, but you know, on a day that West Virginia's offense looked abysmal, I actually thought their defense played fine. They allowed 24 points, but listen to how long the Cowboys scoring drives were. 53 yards, 53 yards, 26 yards, and 45-yard drives. So the Cowboys never had to drive far to score, and there were plenty of times they they um, came up with big stops. Our defense did even stills had a great interception to set West Virginia's offense up at midfield. You can't put this loss on the Mountaineer defense. What do you think? Not at all. I mean, the average starting field position in the second half, which is where the game turned around for Oklahoma state 
was on their own 43. And that includes whenever WVU pinned them on the two-yard line on a punt. So, I mean, it just kind of goes to show you how much favorable field position that they had. And a lot of that's because our offense didn't move the ball. Our defense was stuck behind the eight ball the entire game and having to, you know, create something out of nothing. And, you know, we know that our defense is great. We don't create a lot of turnovers and that's fine because you can be good without creating turnovers. Um, you know, but when you're put in situations like that, you know, there's really not much you can do. And um, I feel bad for everyone on the defense because they played a great game and it's going to be overshadowed by the fact that they let 24 points, but they really didn't. I mean, I don't put any of those 24 points on them. They hit some really uh, Oklahoma state hit some really pretty fade balls to, to Martin. Um, he made some great grabs, you know, he's six, three. So that's a tough guard for anyone. Um, but, you know, still is a short field and those catches were great. So kudos to them. And I think kudos to our defense. I think they played an A plus game. Yeah. The biggest thing for me too, the defense played as hard on that last drive when they stopped them on fourth down as they did on the first drive of the game. That says a lot about those guys on the defensive side of the ball because there was so many times that they could have just got down on themselves, got down on how the offense was performing. And there wasn't one time that I thought anyone on the defensive side of the ball gave up. So it just makes me want to root for them even harder. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the secondary played pretty, uh, pretty good. I mean, we had some nice pass breakups. Our defensive line was, again, disruptive. We had four hurries, one sack three tackles for a loss. We were all over the place. Um, we held them to 3.2 yards per rush on the day, less than six yards per pass, which is ridiculously, it's just insane. Um, that's Oklahoma state numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean, our defense is legit and, um, you know, stills has been great all year. You know, he had a tackle for a loss. He had two tackles. He had that insane pick. Um, Mesador was good. Just, I can't think of a single player on the defense who I, I watched during the game and said they just played a bad game overall. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. It makes it all the more frustrating that you're letting performances like that basically go to waste. Um, but I mean, that's all I got on the Oklahoma state game. I'm ready to move on from it. You got anything else? Nope. I, that about covers it for me. All right, so let's put all that behind us. Let's start talking about Kansas State. This Saturday, the West Virginia Mountaineers take on the Kansas State Wildcats in Manhattan, Kansas. The game is at noon on Fox Sports 1, and the Mountaineers are six-and-a-half-point underdogs coming into this game. The Wildcats, they are six-and-three this year. They're a sneaky six-and-three, too. I, did, I didn't realize they were having that good of a season but they've been very streaky. They they won three straight, lost three straight, and they are currently now riding a three-game winning streak once again, heading into this game. All of their losses have been against quality opponents. They lost to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. So K-State's no joke. I mean, the, the, it's going to be a tough game. Do you think the Mountaineers can get back on track in Manhattan? I think so. I mean... Assuming our offense gets back on track, Kansas State, I think, record is kind of inflated. I mean, their last three wins have come against Kansas, TCU, and Texas Tech, even though Texas Tech beat us. Um, they also beat Stanford, Nevada, and Southern Illinois. Um, I don't think either of those three teams are powerhouses in their conferences, let alone in the country. 
Um, so, you know, their six wins aren't very strong. Um, they do have some good offensive weapons, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of wouldn't say off, off, what any side of the ball is um, super elite on at, at anything. There's a really solid football team, and they're a team that is going to take advantage of mistakes. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup, and it's going to be a game that I think WVU can win as long as we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Yeah, I definitely think it's winnable, but it's not going to be easy by any stretch. Let's uh, break down their offense. At the beginning of the year, this was your classic Kansas State football team. Run the ball a lot, play tough defense, take care of the football. And for the most part, that still seems to be their bread and butter. However, there were a couple games this year when they got a little pass happy, I noticed. And honestly, Skylar Thompson has played well lately. What are your thoughts on the fifth-year senior? Yeah, so um, Skylar Thompson is good. Um, I, I think, you know, I think he did miss two games this year. Um, he has four rushing touchdowns. He's completing 71% of his passes. He does have four interceptions to go with his eight touchdowns. But overall, you know, he, he's he been, you know, the leader of the offense. Um, you know, he's been great at pass, tossing the ball around. He There's no one receiver who kind of looks like, you know, that's the guy you have to shut down. He spreads the ball out to a whole bunch of different guys. And that always makes it tough on the defense. And, you know, he's a leader out there. He's athletic, but he doesn't run a lot. He uses the ability to guy to buy time. Um, so that could be something that hurts WVU a little bit because, you know, we do kind of like to keep a spy in there against mobile quarterbacks. So that just takes another guy out of coverage, which means that, you know, more open space for him to throw into. And he is deadly accurate. So um, another thing I noticed with him is that, um, in all but two games this season, they have completed at least one passing play of 50 plus yards. Um, so, you know, he is someone who will try to figure out a way to get a big play at least once a game. And that is something that WVU has let bite them a couple times this year. So um, it's going to be really interesting, especially with our pass rush versus his mobility, how he fares against that and how he's able to hurt us with that. Yeah, I, I saw he's got two 300-yard passing games this year, which is something you don't see much from a Kansas State quarterback. Yeah. Um, but it seems like he's getting hot at the right time for K-State. However, Kansas State's offense relies heavily on sophomore running back Deuce Vaughn. This guy is a beast. Not only does he get around 20 carries a game, but he's the Wildcats' leading receiver also. He has over 800 rushing yards, over 400 receiving yards, and 15 total touchdowns. It's no secret. If you want to stop K-State's offense, you got to zero in on 22. Yeah, he is definitely dynamic, especially in the past game, which is something that against WVU, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Um, I hope we don't put one of our linebackers on it because our on him because our linebackers aren't very good in coverage. Um, you know, if we can keep a safety on him, that might help mitigate him, but you know, it's always tough um, when you're putting a running back on a safety because if the safety isn't physical enough against that running back, that's an easy way to slip that tackle and get an extra five or ten yards. So um, it's a new wrinkle to, to something that WVU hasn't really seen outside of maybe a little bit with Iowa State with the way they use Brees Hall. But um, definitely someone you have to watch out for. Um, another guy who, who's not a running back, but he does run the ball that uh, I have highlighted is Malik Knowles. And he's someone who um, Neil Brown mentioned quite a bit, but he does have 10 carries on the season. Not much, but um, he's averaging 10 yards per carry on those carries. 
Um, he also it has 24 catches for 341 yards and two touchdowns on 14 yards per catch. He also has two catches for more than 50 yards on the season, and he is their um, kick returner as well. And I know their kick return unit is pretty darn good. Yeah, they got a couple of touchdowns. I heard them mention in the coaches' press conference today. And uh, I heard the coaches mentioning, too, they use Vaughn as a decoy a lot. And why wouldn't you when you use a guy um, that heavily? So it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against our defense. Um, K-State converts 45% of their third downs, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't put themselves in third and long very often. Plus, they are 11 of 13 on fourth down. So even if they are in good field position, they aren't afraid to be aggressive with it. Um, this is what makes a team like K-State so frustrating, though, because they don't put they don't make situations hard on themselves, which we seem to love to do in certain games. Um, they aim to make third and fourth down very manageable. I checked their penalty yards for each game. They had three games that were pretty bad. But um, I thought the other six looked decent, so it's not like they're going to penalize themselves a lot and and dig themselves in a hole on offense. However, I noticed they were negative two in the turnover margin for the year, which was a little surprising to me. So maybe that's something our defense can try to take advantage of. Yeah, and I think a lot of those um, turnovers came from their backups during the two games Skylar Thompson was out. Um, I, I think, I don't remember off the top of my head, I don't have them in front of me, but um, I know their backups, one of them had two fumbles in one game, um, a pick in another. So um, that will put him back positive. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think, you know, Skylar Howard definitely changes things for him because he is a he's a very good quarterback. And I think that offense, the way they run, it's very efficiently oriented. Um, so, you know, looking at their tendencies on a down by down basis, they're completing 67 percent of their passes, 65 percent of their passes and 63% of their passes on first, second, and third down, respectively, while averaging 4.6 yards per carry, 4.4 yards per carry, and 5.2 yards per carry on first, second, and third down, respectively. Um, They're, you know, outside of first down, they're right around that 45, 55% run pass split. Um, And, you know, they just know who they are, and they go out there and do it. So, um, you know, they're going to mix things up a little bit. They're going to take what you give them. And they're going to drive downfield and put points on the board. Um, they aren't super high scoring. I know. I noticed, and I thought it was interesting that they are actually only ranked one spot ahead of West Virginia on um, the Big Twelve scoring leaderboard. So they're eighth. WVU is ninth. Um, but yeah, you know, just that doesn't necessarily mean they're not potent. It just means that you know they kind of just methodically go down the field on you. They'll take what you can give you, and if you get a little bit too aggressive, they'll hit one of those fifty yarders on you. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely, um, Vaughn's the guy I'm very worried about. But honestly, I think our defense could have a good day. There's definitely potential for it. Uh, what worries me is the defensive side of the ball. You ready to talk about that? Um, the last part I actually want to touch on real quick was uh, their offensive line. Um, so their offensive line is has one really, really good player, uh, Cooper Beebe. He's their left tackle. Um, he actually has a super high pass blocking grade from PFF. It's a 90. Um, But outside of that, the right side of their line isn't very good. And they've actually allowed the third most sacks in the big 12. So that's a really interesting matchup for our defensive line who gets a lot of pressure. So I'm really hoping that that can be an area that we attack and attack heavily and um, make Skylar Thompson and, and Vaughn back there uncomfortable. 
for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this defense because they are an interesting one. K State's defense has this new three 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 look, or sorry, three three five look this year, and um, they like to get fresh bodies out there as much as possible, rotating in over twenty five players on defense, which is crazy. Um, but the scariest guy, without a doubt, is Felix Enudike Uzuma, and he leads the nation with eleven sacks and five forced fumbles. This guy, man, I put on his highlight video. He is an animal. This is going to be scary. This guy's an absolute beast. And they even rotate him, just like the other players, to keep him fresh, which is kind of scary if we're trying to have a long drive out there. That guy's going to be coming in with fresh legs every few plays. And West Virginia's left tackle, Brandon Yates, is going to have his hands full they better use tight ends and and other people to chip and help Yates to slow this guy down, or we might be in for a repeat of the Oklahoma State game. Yeah, we, we need to run a lot of quick prep passes. We need to run some screens and draws. We need to draw him upfield and take advantage of the space that he leaves behind. And that's actually something that should bode well against this defense. Um, unlike Oklahoma State, Kansas State linebacking core is not very good. Um, a lot of them have received pretty low grades. Their best linebacker is their middle linebacker, Green. Um, but he's primary. He, he reminds me a lot of Chandler Semedo in that he's a great run stopper, but he's kind of blow average across the board the rest of the way. So, you know, I feel like we could take advantage of that poor linebacking core and the aggressiveness of, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, the defensive Uz- Uzoma um, by, you know, running the, some you know crossing routes, some in routes, um, counters, off tackles, um, running more towards that right side of the line to, you know, get away from um, Uzama, and you know just seeing what we can make use of there. Yeah, yeah, Felix. Yeah, I had to make a little cheat sheet. We're gonna be hearing that name a lot, I'm sure. And you DK, and then I think you had the last part right, Uzama. Uh, but yeah, look for 91, folks, because you're not gonna remember that name. Um, but yeah, you're talking about things we could take advantage of. I saw, uh, teams are scoring about 90% of the time on K-State in the red zone, which is good for us. And 62% of that time results in a touchdown. So hopefully that's something the Mountaineers can take advantage of if we do, um, make our way downfield on them. Another thing to watch too, is that another disruptive player for them is Jerron McPherson. He's one of their safeties in their three safety look. He has six tackles for a loss, and he is great in the run defense. He reminds me a little bit of like a, a Sean Mahone or a, a, a Petrie from uh, Baylor. Um, maybe not necessarily as good as creating turnovers as him, but as being disruptive, he can definitely do that. So, um, you know, that's someone to look out for, but also some area to attack. If someone's bringing a safety down and being aggressive with them on the run, or against passes, that's a good way to take advantage and expose a seam. I mean, you only have so many DBs back there, so if you're bringing a DB in to make plays, attack that. And I'm hoping that, you know, the coaches are figuring out ways to attack those vacancies on the field and to help keep Uzama in check. I mean, he's probably going to end up with a sack, let's be honest, but um, as long as he's not leaving the day with three or four sacks, I think we could, I think we can make some noise against this defense and get back on track. Yeah, I'm not expecting a repeat of Oklahoma State. I do think um, this is a game WVU could could come out and win, similar to, the, to how we knocked off Iowa State. 
Um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing I'm hoping for is just I, I want to see some fight in that offense. <laughs> is yeah, what absolutely. I'm mainly looking for here. Yeah, and um, I, with, with that, like you said, with the that pass rush too, you know, keeping a tight end and keeping a running back in, just figuring out different ways to to help out because that's not only going to apply for this game. It's something that our team just needs to learn to do as a whole. So if we can figure out how to contain good pass rushers, especially one of the best in the country, then that's just going to help us further on in the season and then eventually in a bowl game too, if we ever get there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're a team that is struggling on the offensive line and you you're not getting the ball out quick, it just makes sense to start using heavier sets, which I don't, I don't know. I mean, occasionally we do for that single back, uh, uh, runs that we like to do and occasionally play action, but I'd like to see them use it more if if uh, pass rush becomes an issue. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, special notes. I only have one thing. Do you have anything for the special notes today? Um, I have two things, so I'll let you go first. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about Texas Tech. They found their guy. They hired Joey McGuire. Um, coach McGuire was the assistant or the associate, whatever you want to call it, head coach at Baylor. He was actually interviewed for the Baylor job when Matt rule left, but, uh, Baylor ended up giving it to Dave, uh, Aranda who, who, you know, and, and McGuire stuck around. So I guess it's not a big surprise that he eventually left when the right opportunity arose. He seems like a big rah-rah guy, very energetic, which I think is good for Texas tech. I think it's a decent hire. Um, He recruits well in the state of Texas. And this is the type of hire Tech should expect. I I heard some of the fans were a little upset. They didn't get a bigger name. But, I mean, I feel like Texas Tech is, you know, they're mid-level Big 12. You're not always going to get a lot of big-name interest unless it's just the perfect situation for a big name. So um, I think overall they should be happy about it. I'm happy for them. I always root for teams in the Big 12 to be successful. That way we're playing quality opponents. So how do you feel about the hire? Yeah, I think it's solid. I mean, sometimes it's better to go with the under rate under the radar guy who has lower expectations, who can build up the program the right way and you know, be able to go in there and incrementally build it up. I mean, Texas Tech, it just seems like there's, a lot of losing going on there lately. So this will, I know they're having a solid record this year, but they haven't played the best schedule. But, you know, if you go in there and you figure out a way to build in a team that can consistently get you eight or nine wins, um, that's the way to go. And get to get someone who's familiar with the state of Texas who might hang around for a while, um, who has the ease of kind of easing into things because he's not expected to go in there and turn the ship around in a year. Um, it works out for both both parties. And, yeah, I like to hire. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it's bad at all. So my two are, um, first is football related. Um, so interesting, no news officially on it yet, but Sam Brown has been removed from the two deep of the wide receiver depth chart. Um, he was listed as the backup Z receiver, which would be behind Esdale and Sean Ryan. Um Last I checked it, there's actually no one listed as the backup there. So it's kind of interesting. Um, Sam Brown, if you guys remember, had some splashes last year of playing time and looked good. He's young, and he's someone that a lot of people expected to kind of step up as these um, older receivers graduate. So um, 
a lot of speculation that he might be someone who transfers. Um, but kind of wait and see, but just someone to keep your eye on. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I, I've seen him pop up on Twitter the last few weeks after games, uh, you know, putting out some very strange tweets that might, you know, make you believe that he is frustrated. So that that's a good catch. I wouldn't be shocked if he did transfer. It's disappointing, but like we talked about a few weeks ago, we are deep at the wide receiver position, it seems like. So, um, yeah, we'll just wait and see what happens there. Yeah, definitely. I'm just kind of bummed because it seems like he's a really talented player. Kind of a bad time to be a WV receiver, though, with all the upperclassmen we have who are who are doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of close out our special notes on a positive note, basketball is back and WVU won 60-53. to 53. Um, We are going to be doing a basketball podcast later this week to preview the upcoming season and the pit game. And we will talk about this game a little bit. Um, not as much as we talk about football on here. Um, cause we were, we we were only playing Oakland, but, uh, you know, if you didn't watch it, Taz Sherman and Gabe Osaboyan had great games. Um, we won 60 to 53 and, um, we hope you all, you all are ex- as excited about basketball season as we are. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped for this basketball season. Um, I won't talk too much about the game since we're going to do a podcast. I don't want you guys just hearing the same stuff. But, um, you know, the first game's always rough. We got to win. I think that's the biggest thing. And there, there were some good things to see, especially in the second half. Absolutely. Make sure you guys tune in to our uh, podcast when we push it out on Thursday night, Friday morning. And then as well to cheer on our Mountaineers Friday against Pitt. Um, I know you, we will all miss chanting eat shit pit. So, uh, make sure when, if you're at home or at the game, you belt out a couple of those because it just feels good. Sometimes it does. You, you can't beat, uh, the pit rivalry. It's just the best that having that. And then Virginia tech and football a few weeks ago, it's, it's just good. It football is. next year is going to be great. Having those two teams. Absolutely. Do you have anything for good, bad, and hope? I do. All right, let's do it. So my good is the defense. Uh, We already talked about it. Who played hard that entire game. It would have been easy for that unit to phone it in towards the end of the game. They gave 100% until the final whistle. So hats off to the defensive side of the football. My bad, it's, it's the offensive line. How can you regress that much in one week? They look lifeless, it, not only out-muscled, but just straight up look lifeless and clueless out there on a lot of plays. It's just so disappointing and frustrating to watch um, and discouraging for the rest of the season. I hope they turn it around. But man, when you see performances like that, I mean, it all starts with them. If they're not performing, then there's not a lot of hope for the rest of the offense to succeed. My hope, my hope is that our offensive unit just puts up a fight. I hope they can look competitive and energetic on Saturday, give the fan base something to hang on to. It's one thing to lose. It's another when you look like you don't even belong on the same field as your opponent. So I just want our offense to play with the same energy and passion as our defense does. Yeah, I think we were pretty close to the exact same three. I have a little bit different twist on them. Um, so my good is the defense um, just kind of as a whole, like you said, I, I think they just played extremely well across the board. Um, our defensive line was incredible. Um, so I, I just don't have a single bad thing to say about them. My bad was the offensive play calling. Um, it just didn't seem like we 
we went in there with a direction that we were determined to stick into and we did not have a lane to switch into um you know as a fan with no coaching experience outside of just watching games and and playing the game whenever i was a kid myself um you know there's some things that just seem obvious like running screens or putting in extra blockers or you know just doing a couple other things that make sense because you've seen and know that they work strategically so it's kind of interesting to it'd be kind of interesting to understand why those weren't implemented um you know especially whenever things obviously aren't working um my wish is that i want to see more variation and creativity on offense um they just need to do different things they need to be able to adapt better they need to be able to think on the fly because in the big 12 you're facing good coaches almost every week and a coach like mike gundy and the coaching staff that he puts together every year is going to figure out a way to drive you mad and that's how they succeed and you have to be able to settle things down organize them and then devise a way to take advantage of that because you know i've seen a lot of people complain about how physical oklahoma state oklahoma state's corner for being on our receivers they're going to do that unless you want to challenge them. So you start throwing the ball to them, let your receivers try to win jump balls. And if they're being too physical, let the refs start throwing the flags. That makes them back off a little bit. That gets you more room to do other things. And we weren't even trying to do that. Um, so just no creativity, no variation on what we were doing. Um, we need 100% to do that going forward. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, when you, when you watch cornerbacks and secondaries play like that, you would love it if it was us. I mean, look at our basketball team who always plays, you know, borderline foul defense, and we love it. So, I mean, uh, hats off to Oklahoma State. I'm sure their fans love watching that defense hit the field. Um, that's it for us, guys. I mean, obviously, there weren't a lot of great things to say this podcast. We're big fans. We don't want to be negative. But after a game like Saturday, it's hard to say a lot of positive things about our Mountaineers. But um, this week's a new week. So hopefully they bounce back and play a good game against Kansas State and gets us excited for hopefully a bowl season. So that's it for me. Got anything else? Yeah. So make sure you uh, check out our Twitter, our Facebook um give us a like give us a follow and let us know what you think about you know things going forward as well and how excited you are for things against kansas state and what you would like to see um you know it's always it's always fun to kind of measure ourselves and our do a sanity check against the 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 bigger fan base because i think some of the things that we can say can kind of be skewed by the data that we look at but um yeah we, we'd love to hear from you and um feel free to support us by donating on the link that's in our description um don't feel obliged to but you know we won't complain so uh we just want to thank you all for listening and turn it back over to you yeah thanks for listening guys we appreciate the support and yeah he's definitely right we love feedback whether it's good whether it's negative we want to hear it we want to know how we can be better so uh, please make an effort to follow us and let us know what's good, what's bad about the podcast. And that's it. Look for us, the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork, and thanks, everyone, for listening. See you guys.